I am so glad we did this. What a great podcast. You guys killed it. <laughs> okay. That was amazing. That was really good. That was really good. I'm so glad we did this. Excellent. You're going to be proud. Okay, well, I, I hope so. No, you will be. <laughs> I, always, I always feel a little odd after these things. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's totally awkward. I understand that completely. But, man, you had such good things to say, and it was topical and timely, funny. It was very clever. Hey, everybody, Pre-Accident Podcast. How are you? Holy buckets. It is getting sweaty and tense in North America. I don't know what that just said. I'm sure it's meaningful somewhere. But, uh, wow, there's a lot going on here. Hey, today's podcast is part two of Red Sopka and Chris McCullough and PCL and their discussion of really where they ended up in their human performance, new view, safety, differently journey, whatever we're going to call it. And if you didn't get to listen to part one, um, it'd, it'd be interesting to listen to part one. I don't know if it's a deal breaker, actually, because part two seems to really pick up at kind of a different place. But you'll understand more the context as we progress through, because these are the guys who said the very famous phrase, riding the moped in public. This is where their their senior executive meeting is where that phrase came from. And you know already, because I've told you that I'm in love with that phrase for so many reasons. It just seems so beautiful and so effective. This is part two of this discussion. And part two of this discussion, you guys are going to like, I think, because it focuses really on in a very applied way. So they're going to talk about actually how this works and what it looks like when you do it, which is always an interesting thing to listen. And they're going to talk a lot about how they really focused, particularly with great specifics on what they thought would be um, a point in their process where they could get the most benefit immediately and have the most success immediately. And that's where they looked at sort of their pre-job briefing their their permission to do work, which is the term they use, right? And and they looked at how they could make that greatly improve. And they did it by really focusing on and engaging the people who do the work in owning, to a great extent, what that program would look like. And the payoff is they got this increased sense of engagement. But what they really got was a, a much different form of conversation, and it was a conversation really about risk and control, which is a really important conversation to have. And it was happening at the pointy end of the stick, at the sharp end of the stick. And they would end up then talking about the go, no go criteria. So, so here's our risk. Here's the controls available. Are we good to go? Or is this a no go? And that conversation I think is worthwhile because my guess is, and I could be wrong on this, but at least what I'm seeing in the world is that you're seeing a real movement away from every worker should be psychic and stop an event before it fails, which sounds good on the surface, to really a better understanding of we have to be able to monitor what we can actually monitor. Uncertainty is really hard to monitor, but we can monitor the presence of controls. We can shift from if this fails to when this fails, which actually then sets us up so that we're not managing the probability of the failure. We're actually managing the presence of controls, which, I mean, near as I can tell, you tell me if I'm wrong, that completely meets 
the definition of safety in the contemporary world, which is safety is not the absence of accidents. It's the presence of capacity or safety is not the absence of negatives. It's the presence of positives. You don't make a system better by taking bad things out. You make a system better by putting good things in. Yeah, fair enough. We know this. And this is a really good, very poignant, pretty tight little conversation around how that worked, which is why I made it part two. Cause Normally, you know, you just cut the end off and let it go, release it to the wild. But this one seemed different to me. It seemed like it was worthwhile. It was worth picking up. And so I thought, well, now's the time. It's We're going into sort of the November period. It's, it's a time when people are really thinking about improvement greatly and lots of questions around well, what does success look like? How can we monitor this notion that we're getting better? And here it is. I mean, this, this is a, a really good example of that. And I can't thank really Reg Sepka and Chris McCullough enough for taking time out of their super busy schedules because they're busy dudes and actually chatting with us about these topics. It's nice. I mean, this is exactly the conversation I want to have on the podcast. One of the things that's going on, I don't know how you guys feel about all this, but you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there now about safety, which I think is good. That doesn't bother me. I think that's great. More's better. It's true of M&M's. It's always true of cake. I mean, cake, more cake is always better, right? But the, one of the issues that I'm having a kind of a little um, crisis of consciousness around is that it seems like all these podcasters interview all these other podcasters and everybody's kind of talking to themselves, which seems goofy to me. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, because there's a lot of people we can talk to that do work and have important information to share around things they've learned, uh, things they would never do again. I always think that's good learning. Things they're heading to, what they're thinking about, what their strategy for the future is in a time when having strategies for a future seems kind of luxurious and difficult because uncertainty is so strong. So I'm really trying to push the boundaries of, of who we invite for conversations just because it seems like the right thing to do. And you're never, ever, ever ever disappointed when you invite really good field people, people who actually do the work and think about the work and manage the work and are responsible and accountable for the work. And that's exactly what this podcast does. It takes on that part of the conversation. So I hope you're good and I hope you're taking care of yourself and the people you love around you and check in on the people you work with for and compete against because we probably will never, ever have a better time to check in and take care of one another than we do now. It's certainly, the future's really scary to me. And I don't mean that hyperbolically. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not blowing smoke. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty, and it's got me kind of wound up. So I think about it a lot, and, uh, and I can't ride my bicycle because it's cold and snowy. But maybe, I mean, that's going to change. This week is better. So I'm definitely riding this week. But uh, I don't know what I'm going to do in winter. Maybe move somewhere where there's not snow. So get ready, Tucson. Here I come. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Until then, will you please listen to part two with Red Sopka and Chris McCullough from PCL. And we're going to talk really about their most interesting project that they're currently working upon now. And I think you'll find it 
uh, valuable. I know you'll find it valuable. I wouldn't do it if it didn't have value. So sit back, relax. Here we go. This is a great little pot. Well, we didn't have to actually talk about uh, how, uh, you know, in, you know, before we were riding the moped in public, I think that was kind of like some of the interesting time as well, because we were looking, we, we kind of like uh, went through the uh, Trojan horse uh, uh, phase where we were looking at elements within our safety program and how could we actually incorporate uh, seeds of human performance within them. How'd that work? So, so, so it's even like you looking at uh, our behavior-based safety program, right. uh, which uh, I, I know uh, <laughs> right now there's people screaming at, uh, at, at their, uh, their radio or whatever they're listening to the podcast through, and uh, that's fine. Uh, but it's, uh, uh, you know, looking at uh, at-risk behaviors um, either collectively or individually as sources of system weakness. Yeah. And, and it's not necessarily looking at, uh, as a sign of human uh, failure or individual failure, it's it's uh, and the uh, explanation that we use is that uh, it's not some worker being at risk on the top two rungs of a ladder. It's a sign that you need to buy taller ladders. And did, how long did it take to code that away from seeing that as the worker's the problem to uh, really crafting that into data around the system? You know, we had a couple projects running concurrently large, like, you know, 3,000 on one and a couple thousand on another. And it, it really organically it moved away. And we had a really strong group of frontline people helping lead it. So that's yeah. workers. Guys, and, we invested a lot into, and we invested a lot in them. Yeah, and they, they, they helped show us what, what we could do with that information you know, it wasn't just management interpreting the, the data. It was them telling us this. This is what that means. This is what we're telling you. And that was super powerful. Well, and all, it, a lot of it came down to, like, you know, engaging these worker groups that, uh, you know, we were asking to kind of like look at all the at risk behaviors and look at everything and kind of come up with different solutions. And at one project, we were having significant uh, some issues with dropped objects. Or you could say fallen objects rather than dropped objects because dropped seems to indicate some sort of uh, human blame. Um, and, and I'm getting, <laughs> uh, but I was like, how do we solve this? And uh, the workers looked at that and we invested a lot of time training uh, these um uh, these, these these trades workers and who are the representatives and, you know, up to six to eight hours worth of training in behavioral science into uh, some uh, some forms of behavioral economics and actually uh, a little bit of a lot of nudge thinking we we're introducing with uh -huh. them as well. And as it was also that they came up with the whole idea after being explained to them about, uh, you know, having all the last minute items right near the cash register causes people to buy more crap that they don't necessarily need. And having that proximity can change behavior. And, you know, it's like your example of the dairy at the back of the store. It they said, uh, why do we need to walk uh a kilometer, and uh, for those Americans, a kilometer is uh, 42 megabytes or whatever it is. Uh, uh, 5,000 5, miles. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's about 4,000 miles. No. Uh, <laughs> can't we bring the tool cribs to where we need them? So it was, you know, uh, just like you put a please hold the handrail sign right by the handrail, uh, they created these mini tool cribs 
uh, for any sort of uh, actually fall, re, you know, yeah, tool, tool retention, retention, fall protection, flagging, all that stuff was made in these, you know, these small little tool cribs that uh, were at the points where they were going up at elevation. And it was just, you know, a brilliant suggestion from the workers where they owned it and it helped. Well, let me dig into that, though, because in order to make that, the shift's one, I mean, it's a brilliant idea. It's That's super smart. But in order to make that shift, you had to at some point get the definition of the worker redefined at the leadership level. You had to make space for this to happen because if they were still thinking the old way, they'd look at unsafe acts and say, bad worker, get rid of them, send them back to the shop, right? So yeah, at some point, yeah. at some point, you had some pretty heavy lifting dialogue to get people to think differently or to shift philosophically. Yeah, there, there was a superintendent who made a comment and you know, like you said, you got, you got a 3000 man project. That's pretty impressive. He, you know, he said, look, these guys built that. So you can say what you want about them, but they built it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so there, there's, there's clearly some professionalism and some expertise there that, you know, we need to recognize. And, you know, they also started to really buy into the, the fact that everybody comes to work to do a good job. Yes. And, you know, just, just put a bit of frame on, on, you know, they all started as tradesmen, a lot of these supervisors. So that, that helped. But I think we just uh, we really tried to focus on the, their expertise and the fact that, you know, like, again, you know, a lot, a lot of learnings from human performance. Nobody comes to work to do a bad job and nobody comes to work to have an incident or make a mistake. So how do we you know, let's let's show some appreciation for that. Did you did you pay extra special attention to leadership? Did you did you shift their thinking? Did you do training? Did you do it one on one conversations? How did you do that? You know what, Todd? It was one conversation at a time. It, yeah, it was it was getting in front of the people when we'd had you know coffee in the coffee room when you could do that um, you know out, out touring the units or touring the projects with the senior leaderships on the phone. It was just changing the conversation, just little bits at a time, just dropping little bombs, looking for that in and going, okay, this is my chance, I can do it. It was changing the conversation <laughs> one conversation at a time. Yeah. It really was. And it was for each conversation with someone who uh, was a point of influence that uh, would be interested in this, would be in a leadership role. Uh, we just continue to have those conversations. Yeah, we, we wrote some, you know, we our company has like an internal communication system. So we wrote some blogs and we did some other things. And, you know, I, I remember I had a superintendent pull me over in the hallway once and said, you know, I was thinking about this and we were talking about how we're doing this. And I remember somewhere seeing this graphic with this blue line and this black line. And I was thinking, yeah, that's right. That's how this is really going to go. And I'm like, oh, we're winning. Oh, that's <laughs> One amazing. One small little victory, but we're winning. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And, and part about riding the moped in public is, you know, uh, developing some formal training for our leadership. And, uh, you know, like, you know, Reg and I were on a meeting this morning where, uh, because of COVID, we're not able to do the face-to-face -face, uh, training that we would normally do. Uh, so we're adapting. We've got some great folks in our HRPD, and they're helping us develop uh, some uh, uh, videos and yeah, tutorials, and then an, uh, then a, and then a, some type of face-to-face in-class session if that ever happens again, or some way to deliver more of a of a personalized session or, or camera to camera. And, and I think we'd be. You know, I know we got, we got to talk about this, even if we're going long. Sorry, Todd. Is uh, the we 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 redid the way we do our pre jobs, 
Yeah, um, in, in our in our sector. So we we had a pretty standard, um, you know, pre-job, your standard hazard assessment, kind of based off the three column. And a few years ago, we were having a conversation because there was a lot of dissatisfaction with what we thought the quality of that document or that that we'll call it the document because we'll focus on the document itself to start with. And it gave us a great opportunity to say, well, you know, we that that thing, they fill that out because they think that we want them to fill it out. They don't actually use it. They just fill it up for us. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's, it's an a permission to work slip. Yeah, it's it's an amalgamation of all the things that we've told them to put on there. It, it's just not it's not helping anybody. It's not helping them. It's not helping us. So why don't we redo this? So you know, we we had a couple people, um, you know, take a, a three years of their lives and redevelop, mm-hmm. you know, the process behind how we want our workers to plan work and our supervisors and our mm-hmm. frontline crews to plan work. And, you know, we went out and we, we, you know, they facilitated like town halls with the frontline work crew said, what do you like about what we have? What would you like to see? What don't you like to see? You know, we, uh, we had some, you know, we've had some exposure to, uh, you know, um, some, some companies that are further along the human performance spectrum seemingly than us down in uh, some of our U S operations. So we looked at what they were doing, um, you know, how can we implement some of that? And, you know, one of the things that we were always strong on was, is that, you know, it needs to be for those, it needs to help those guys. And it's not a form. It's a form to back up a process. So we're interested in the process. The form needs to support the process so they can plan for success. And, you know, we've just started to roll it out, but lots of people are really excited about it. Um, you know, right across our, our whole, uh, the whole industrial company. You know, it, it's, uh, it's focusing on the work. The front line like it. They feel like it's put the power back in their hands to execute the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the supervisors like it. It, it gives them, you know, <clears throat> without doing it, it, it's created some more accountability in and amongst different levels of a project team to make sure that the crew's prepared to work. You know, it's very big on the, you know, yeah. on the go, no go, as opposed to, you know, stop when I'm <clears throat> sure. It's, it's go when safe. You know, so. it's, it's preparing the work. It's also preparing the workers better for the work. And rather than having the old type of, uh, you know, listing every potential hazard and under the sun and it turns into a game of hazard word bingo. Uh, it's actually how do we make this work more resilient and uh, how do we better accomplish it? And people you know, better are planning was better execution and, and story. And people are engaged and excited about a new pre-job. I, I, to me, that seems like an amazing statement just to be made. When's the last time you heard that said? Uh, never. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> we did some work with. Uh, we even did a preview to the uh, to our, our provincial uh, occupational health and safety branch. Mm-hmm. We did a presentation to them because we wanted to make sure that they would get on board with it, and they were quite excited about what they saw as well. Wow, so, that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. That's just, I mean, you guys, you're out there on the the, the edge of this. Uh, let me actually go back to your guys' metaphor. You're out there riding the moped in public. I mean, you're out there on the edge, and you're learning all the time. I mean, that's that's what's so interesting. Think about how much, how much, I don't, how much more comfortable you. I want to say smarter, but I'm trying not to use the word smarter. Think about how much more comfortable you are now with these ideas that you've really had the chance to experiment with them, to try them out to test them and to see what they can do. That's pretty remarkable. 
Yeah, well, there was a time where it was almost in hushed tones and in quiet conversations at first because it almost seemed like heresy. It was, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, you know, revolutionary thoughts. And it's not without a skeptic, skeptics in and amongst, you know, different different aspects of our business. So yeah, and it, and, uh, and those will never go away, right? I mean, that's. That's always going to be a part of it. And I think that keeps the dialogue alive kind of. So that's good. Yeah. 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 It, it keeps, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pretty persistent on it. I think we've seen some successes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, every once in a while you, you might have what you think is a bit of a setback, but you just keep going. Right. So it, uh, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, the juice is worth the squeeze, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you hearing different stories? Are they are they speaking different languages? I mean, are, are you hearing it from the bottom to the top of the organization? A, a, a new engagement in operational re- reliability. Yeah, yeah, we are hearing those. It's um, maybe not as widespread or consistently as we'd like, but we are hearing it. And uh, I, I know that uh, you know. Uh, some organizations, they talk about human performance and they bring out the concepts and uh, they look at getting everyone to fall, to uh, kind of follow the concepts uh, wholesale and like this are going to follow it where, you know, we were having it one conversation at a time. We were, you know, having the debates and I, I guess in a lot of ways we're honing our ability to explain it and, and, uh, and uh, advocate for it. Uh, but uh, we kind of came across this frontline work planning that we're doing, and it kind of became the, uh, you know, to use another uh, analogy, it kind of became the snowplow that kind of leads the way that everything else is kind of following. So um, it, it's almost doing it inside out with uh, a, a program and a different way of preparing the work from an HP perspective that is allowing us to, uh, you know, to, to ride the moped behind the the uh, snowplow, so to speak. <laughs> oh, you could never let go of that one. Never let go of that metaphor. <laughs> that is the best metaphor. All right, you guys, that is episode two. As always, the secret weapon is under promise over deliver. That is the secret weapon. And I think we did that today. Thanks for being a part of this. Thank you, Red Sapka and Chris McCullough. For a two-part episode, very few have had two-part episodes. You're in a elite club, the two-parter club, <laughs> which, which I don't know how. I'd, I'd have to look. I don't even know if there's that many. I, I think David Woods did a two-parter, but he'd probably do a three-parter. I mean, there's lots going on there. But these guys, man, did they have some good stuff to share with us. And I found that to be a, a big part of, how we think about moving forward and what that means to us, which I think is remarkable. I, I'm just pleased as punch that the podcast continued on past when I thought it would continue on. The greatest surprises are just that great surprises. And I thought we were done at the half hour point. And look, we had a lot, we had another 20 minutes of really interesting and very positive and forward-looking applied use of some of these new ideas. And I like how this idea of Trojan horsing, because the idea, I mean, organizations, generally speaking, are pretty resistant to change. 
because the people in the organization, you know, organizations are just us. We make up the organization. The people in the organization are resistant to change. One of the things that I find most interesting amid the multiple crises that have happened, the pandemic, et cetera, at all, is that we've learned greatly that agility is a capacity. We've known that. I mean, they've, they've told us that. Carl Weick's been telling us that for a long time. Kathleen's been telling us that for a long time. But, I mean, these aren't mysterious words that we've never heard before. They're, they're quite known. But you can really see it in the midst of the crises, uh, how an agile organization really has the ability to move much more gracefully, much more effectively through uncertainty, and that's pretty remarkable. And that really is ultimately the big bazooka. That's that's the big change that happens, and it's fun to watch. But it was really fun to listen to Reg and Chris talk. They've they've been on this journey a long time, and they've looked many places for information. They they have a giant diversity of resource, and what they've really done most effectively is built the support to take these chances uh, amongst their senior leadership at every level. And so when you have courageous, brave leaders who are willing to try some things, then you get the ability to actually go out and micro-experiment these ideas and make for a better world. And look at that. That's what we want is a better world. I've been wanting it for a long, I've been wanting it for the last four years a lot, a lot, a lot. And now we'll see what that world holds from the future on. It's an interesting time to be around. It's a really interesting time to live in North America. It's an interesting time to just be a person. I, I, I hope we come. I think, let me take that back. I think we will come back out of this better and stronger. And that should be our goal that we restore really kindness and humanity to the world. We work diligently to remove the isms, nationalism and popularism, right? Racism, all those isms, those divide organizations and don't build the path forward. But that my friends, is the topic for another much longer, detailed, and amazing podcast, which soon enough will happen. Fear not. That's coming around the bend. I'm, I can feel it in my bones, and my bones never lie. Until then, my friends, thank you for your time. Tell your friends. Smash that like button, whatever that means. Everyone says that on YouTube, though. I hear it all the time. And <laughs> learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. That seems important. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe.